for the prayer for illumination. Speak to us your word, O Lord, that we may hear Jesus' call to be his disciples. Amen. In the first reading this morning is from the Old Testament, uh, from the prophet Jonah. This is the conversion of Nineveh, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity, and he said he would bring upon them, and he did not. The voice of the Lord, powerful and full of majesty. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading for this morning comes to us from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. Listen to what the Spirit is speaking today. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishers. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As they went a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired men and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Lord of fulfilled time, who was not born an angel but walked the common earth, with those you called by the lakeside, May we share your mission to bring good news to all, to let the world know that God is among us. Through Jesus Christ, the one who reigns, we pray. Amen. I wonder if you have felt called at any point in your life. When have you had that sense that You are being summoned to something more than a job description can capture. And this is the difference between a career and a vocation. Careers are occupations that we undertake for significant periods of time. I work in finance, I work in education, engineering, whatever it may be. That's a career. But, But a vocation is something more than that. 
The word vocation comes to us from the Latin vocari, which means to call. So what is your calling? Why are you here? Surely you are here for more than just making money or being happy. Now, I'm all for happiness, but the best research we have on it says that happiness is not a goal that you pursue directly, but instead it's a byproduct of a life well lived. And a life well lived is something that is given to more than personal pleasure and wealth <coughs> accumulation. We need a better story than that. This past Monday, our nation paused to remember and honor the life of the Reverend Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., And every year on MLK Day, I set aside time to read his words. And the more I do, the more I admire him. King understood the systemic nature of racism and poverty that some of us have only come to recognize in the past few years. And though he is revered by many, I worry that we've turned King into a two-dimensional slogan. And we've ignored the radical legacy that he left us. Before he became a national figure, King was a young Baptist pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, hoping to do quiet congregational ministry and write books. But on December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks refused to give up her bus seat to a white passenger. When she was arrested, the local black activists in Birmingham immediately got to work because they had been planning and waiting for the right moment to launch a resistance movement. They were waiting for a Kairos moment, and they believed that moment had come. And so after several days of the young women activists spreading the word and organizing all throughout Birmingham, the local clergy met and decided that they needed to elect a spokesperson for the planned boycott. And to King's surprise, great surprise, they elected him, the new pastor in town, at the age of 26. And for the first few days of the boycott, King said it was going well. But when the white people in town realized they were serious, the threats started to come in. And so two weeks into the boycott, King was receiving 40-plus phone calls a day at his home, threatening his life and his wife, Coretta, and their baby, Yolanda, who was just two months old. And one night around midnight, King received another threatening phone call that promised to blow up his house. And for King, this was a breaking point. He was losing heart. He thought about calling his father, but Martin realized that he needed to call upon the one that his daddy used to tell him about. The power that can make a way out of no way. King later wrote, I discovered that religion now had to become real to me, and that I had to know God for myself. And so he prayed at midnight over his cup of coffee, asking God for help, saying that he was weak and losing courage. And then it happened. King said, It seemed at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for the truth, and I will be with you even until the end of the world. I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still to fight on. He promised to never leave me, 
never to leave me alone. No, never alone. And that was the night that Martin received the call. And because he answered it, the world has never been the same. You are called too. Now, I'm guessing that your call isn't as dramatic as Martin's. Mine isn't either. But calling isn't just reserved for heroes and saints like Rosa and Martin. To be human is to be called. The only question is, will we answer? Jesus received his call at his baptism. On the banks of the Jordan River, he heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my Son, whom I love, and in him I am well pleased. Packed into that one sentence is the entirety of Jesus' calling. To be named God's Son is a reference to Psalm 2, a royal enthronement psalm, which means Jesus is called to be Israel's true king. That God is well pleased with Jesus. This is a reference to Isaiah 42, in which God calls a servant in whom God delights, and this servant is filled with God's Spirit and is going to bring justice to the oppressed. And finally, to be God's beloved Son is a reference to Genesis 22, in which Abraham is called to sacrifice his beloved son, Isaac. And so in Jesus' baptism, He is called Israel's true king who will bring justice to the oppressed and sacrifice himself for the sake of his people. It is a heavy and a high calling. And he does not undertake it alone. After his baptism, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and he emerges with a message saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time is fulfilled. That word time in Greek is kairos. Kairos is contrasted with chronos. Chronos is normal time, the time we measure on our watches and our smartphones, chronological time. Kairos refers to divine moments when eternity breaks into the present. Jesus is saying that time is now because God has come near. And that means... It's repentant time. (laughs) Now, when we think of repentance, we normally think about apologies and reconciliation, which is all well and good, because all of us have apologies to make, both to God and to other people. And when we do it, the world is healed, just a little bit, ever so slightly. And so when Jesus invites us to repent, he's calling us to live a life of reconciliation in which we quickly and frequently apologize and make amends. But at its most basic level, repentance simply means to change one's mind, to be open to change, to know that as a rule, you are wrong about all kinds of things. You just don't know what they are. And when you come to recognize how wrong you are, you change your mind. And this isn't a source of shame, but a source of joy. That's why Jesus calls it good news. God has great news for you. We don't have to worry about being right anymore. Because God is right. And the rest of us are just guessing. 
So answering the call of Christ, it frees our egos from having to be right so we can experience what James Allison, the theologian, calls the joy of being wrong. I've told you about this before. The joy of being wrong. See, the normal story that we live by says we are only okay if we are right. We're bombarded with stories that say to us that we're only okay if we fill in the blank. If we're right enough, smart enough, thin enough, rich enough, whatever. The message is always the same. We are only okay if we are judged right by whatever measure is being employed. And this story creates perpetually insecure people who are always hustling, always trying to run faster on that worthiness treadmill. And the gospel of Jesus Christ comes along and says, I've got good news for you. You can get off that treadmill. You don't have to run it anymore because you are safe to be wrong. I'm calling you to a life in which you are loved not because of your performance. It's my love that makes you worthy. And nothing can take that away from you. And if you rest in that, you can delight in being wrong. God is calling you to a better story in which your worthiness isn't in question, but is given and cannot be revoked. When you live from that place of rest and delight, you are free to love and serve your neighbor. Because it's not just you that God is calling. It's everyone. The better story to which Christ calls us concerns us all. God's kingdom isn't just for an elite few. The good news is for everyone. And if we're honest, sometimes that makes us mad. That's what Jonah had to learn. The book of Jonah is all about how God loves Jonah's enemies as much as God loves Jonah. And Jonah doesn't like that very much. And if we're honest, neither do we. See, Jonah wanted to be right and his enemies to be wrong. But thankfully, God is so much bigger than our pettiness. God connects us one to another in a story that is larger than ourselves. So the call of God frees us to love and serve each other across all of our differences. Because in this story, we are bound together by what King called an inescapable network of mutuality tied together in a single garment of destiny. And the call of God will take us to places we never imagined. King's call began when he was a 26-year-old spokesperson for civil rights in the South. And over the next few years, he became a world leader in human rights, speaking out against poverty and war. The network of mutuality led him unpopularly to oppose the Vietnam War. And exactly one year before his assassination, he spoke about his opposition to the war. And he spoke about his call, saying at Riverside Church in New York City, quote, I share with all men 
the calling to be a son of the living God. Beyond the calling of race or nation or creed is the vocation of sonship and brotherhood. And because I believe that the Father is deeply concerned, especially for his suffering and helpless and outcast children, I come tonight to speak for them. The call of God unites us all, connects us one to another, all equally wrong, all equally loved, just as we are. God is calling you. Can you hear it? 